Hello. Hello. You're listening to Track by Track with me, Dan. And me, Will. This is the podcast where we take a great pop music album and break it down track by track. And Will. Yes. Happy 200th album episode, lovey. Oh, Dan, I've said that opening gambit at least 200 times now, if that must mean. Uh, at least 400, I'd say, with all the outtakes and edits and <laughs> if we got to record it and blah, blah, blah. Uh, it's surprising after so how after so many goes, I still forget what I'm saying when we start an episode off, particularly if we've not done one for a while. Yep, and it has been a little while. Yeah, and uh, sorry, where are my manners? Uh, happy 200th album episode to you too. Thank you very much. And of course, we're saying it that way because we've done many more episodes than 200. We've done the new music drop. We've done the special editions. We've done the further listening series on Patreon. But this is the 200th album if you exclude the EP, which we uh, did a couple of weeks ago, that we have been track by track through. Uh, and that's 200 albums, which we have talked through in their entirety. Uh, any one stick out, Dan? I'm sorry to put you on the spot because we didn't talk about this previous to recording, but any any favourites? Well, you know, sometimes it's an album that, you know, you think it's a good album, but it turns out to be a really fun episode. Maybe that was in the days when we drank when we recorded, actually, in hindsight. This is a dry podcast now, actually, must say, uh, yeah. because we had to. Not, no, had- not because we're alcoholics, just because no. uh, for uh, uh, editing was much easier if we hadn't had a much drink. Much easier. Um, but standout ones, I mean, I'm not just saying it because we're doing it this week. When we talk about a Pet Shop Boys album, we always do it for a big occasion. And it always feels incredible to talk about the Pet Shop Boys and incredible to celebrate a milestone. Yeah, and behaviour really stands out for me as one of my favourites. Uh, I think you know why. Well, that was our 100th, of course. Mm. And that was the first time we had lots of special guest contributors, wasn't it? Well, and Neil Tennant as well, obviously. And Neil, of course. Not to Neil. <laughs> Neil, that, yeah. Neil, who? Oh, yes, yes. yes. Uh, and we're doing something a bit different today, but we'll come on to that in a moment. But I think for me, the episodes that always stand out, are, yeah, the Pet Shop Boys episodes. Uh, now, these days, the ones we actually record in person, because that's more of a rarity now, because things have changed a lot since we first started Track by Track. Yeah. Uh, I have to say, always an absolute hoot recording together, uh, even without a drink in our hands. Yep, yeah, although normally... Actually, no, it's more fun than not a cup of tea, isn't it? Yeah, more cup of tea, spicy chai or something like that, just to uh, keep our throats well lubricated for everything that we we were about to process through them. Yes. And Will, before we move on, the theme tune sounded a bit different today. What's what's that about? Uh, This is one of our 200th episode treats that we've been working on. Uh, this is, we've had a bit of our theme tune uh, remixed and uh, reinvigorated, and it's none other than Mr. Steve Rodway, uh, aka Motivate, uh, one of our favourite remixes, who's had a hand in a lot of our favourite artists and featured artists as well, uh, who's done some fantastic, uh, iconic remix work and production work uh, through the 90s and the early noughties and beyond, uh, and it was a huge honour for him to agree to do that, so thank you very much, Steve. Thank you very much, Steve. Yeah, we've talked about him at length on Spice Girls episodes and the Gina G episode. But also, of course, we've spoken about him on Pet Shop Boys episodes. So it's really apt that he's done that for us on this momentous occasion. 
Uh, also, uh, another treat. Oh, we're just spoiling ourselves and everybody else at the moment. Uh, another treat is uh, released in tandem with this episode. We've got a very special package uh, that we'd love for you to open and enjoy. Uh, we've put together some of our uh, hilarious bloopers, uh, memorable moments and faux pas into a little mini track by track uh, episode for you as well to enjoy. Uh, some of which you might never have actually heard the, or seen the light of day before. So that's uh, it's a real giggle, actually, Dan. I'm really looking forward to getting stuck into your auntie's bloomers. So, Dan, Pet Shop Boys. Yeah, who are they? Again. What? Who are the Pet Shop Boys? Oh, what, do I need to say uh, Pet Shop Boys uh, formed way back in 1981. They met but didn't come from London. Are they from uh, London? And, no, no, they just met in London. Uh, and they have had a long and illustrious career uh, in the music industry. Uh, icons, much uh, awarded musical legends and contributors to uh, uh, the music, UK and worldwide music scene. Still going now. They just actually, not so long ago, uh, released a, uh, a remix for an upcoming artist as well. Uh, and I wouldn't be surprised if we don't hear more from them uh, before the end of the year. And obviously Glastonbury coming up as well. And we might well talk, although this is our, now correct me if I'm wrong, 11th Pet Shop Boys album that we've done on Track by Track. Yeah, I think 11th studio album from them, plus there was the Closer to Heaven uh, soundtrack, plus there has been the Liza and Dusty albums as well. But we haven't done them all, so more to come there. So we know a bit about the Pet Shop Boys. Well, we know more than a bit about the Pet Shop Boys. But Dan, what are we doing differently to celebrate them and to celebrate our 200th album episode? So, yes, we have often asked some of the album's contributors or some fans, some famous fans of the Pet Shop Boys to join us and wax lyrical about them. So in the past, we've had the likes of Steve Anderson, Dubstar, Tessa Niles, Harold Faltermeyer, David Morales, the list goes on. This time, we did want to do something different for our 200th anniversary. And we want to say thank you, of course, to you, the listeners, who may Me? well oh, yes. have, not Please. you, who may well have listened to us banging on about 200 or so far 199 incredible pop music albums. So this time, we're hearing from the listeners, Will. Yeah, and just really nice because actually 200 albums in, still going strong. It's only because people bloody listen to the thing that we do uh, and still enjoy doing. So we thought, let's get some people on to introduce some, talk about the Pet Shop Boys, who love the Pet Shop Boys and listen to us and put up with us. And love us. I was going to say that, but I thought put up with them is much more self-deprecating. Oh, that's better. In fact, well, do you want, shall I introduce them now? Yes. Let's do that. Let's hear from this episode's contributors and let's hear about their history with Pet Shop Boys and this incredible album, Actually. Actually. Hello, my name's Joseph Jagger. Hi, this is Rich. Hi, this is Jonathan from New York, and I'm so honoured to be part of this special episode. Hi there, this is Zoe Mack. Hi, this is Jim from Washington, D.C. Hi, this is Stephen. Question. What, what do Pet Shop Boys mean, mean to you? Well, so much to say, really. Where do I start? Pet Shop Boys mean everything to me. They've been a constant in my life for 37 years, I think it is now, if I do the maths right. To me, Pet Shop Boys mean joyous electronic pop, always delivered with a knowing wink. The Pet Shop Boys have been one of the few bands that have had a constant musical influence in my life, from my teenage years all the way to today. Growing up in central New Jersey, with parents influenced by Frank Sinatra and the Beatles, 
My exposure to music was really limited to local radio, which in the mid-1980s was littered with power rock bands like Bon Jovi, Def Leppard, Whitesnake, Poison. Neil and Chris are better songwriters than the Beatles. Pet Shop Boys, every track, every album is just such high quality. There's so much Pet Shop Boys out there, um, but just somehow there isn't quite enough. And it isn't just the music, it's the, it's the style, it's the sleeves, the artwork, the wits, the humour, the attention to detail, who they collaborate with. Uh, the fact they just keep on going. So there's always more to dig into, which I'm always drawn into. I love absolutely everything that the Pet Shop Boys do. I'm quite a collector of everything they've ever done. I've got all the CD singles and all the vinyl, uh, but I suppose it all started when I was about eight years old. I was nine when Very came out, and um, I remember stealing money from my mum's purse to go and buy the um, cassette. I remember first hearing them back in 1985 when my friend Kevin handed me his Walkman and said, you have to hear this song, West End Girls by the Pet Shop Boys, this new band. I think I listened to that song over and over again for about a half an hour before I handed him his Walkman back. I was mesmerized how great it was and it still holds up today. Happy or sad, their songs in three decade plus back catalogue have long been a staple of my pop listening. When I first heard Pet Shop Boys and West End Girls, something connected within me, unlike anything before, were intelligent lyrics, beautiful melodies, and all combined with this dance beat that I didn't even realize I loved. Over the years, I have certainly been exposed to countless amazing songs by other artists, uh, but the Pet Shop Boys remain the gold standard for mastering new technology and sounds, and always delivering introspective and thought-provoking, incredible pop bangers. Their pop music is so enduring and lasting. It doesn't age at all. And I think it's because they've always gone for high quality. They never give less than their best. Everything they put out is just so good. And Neil, for me, has been a bit kind of like my North Star, really. He's always been there for me. And um, yeah, I find that hugely um, comforting, I suppose, really. Their music's just always been with me, and I expect it always will be with me. Another question? What, what are your memories, memories of the actual album? album? In 1987, I was 16, and just coming to understand what I liked and mostly didn't like in the music that was being played on the radio. Following on the success of Please and West End Girls, I eagerly awaited the next album. I remember this was not long after I had gotten my first CD Walkman, and when I got the CD, I just listened to Actually over and over again, happy to be able to sit in my room and forsake the radio for something totally different. My brother, my big brother bought me um, Actually for my 14th birthday. And I remember very well seeing it in an outprice, outprice uh, plastic bag hidden in the spare room um, a cupboard, which I felt terribly guilty about. I knew I was going to have when I opened it on, on my birthday. But uh, and it was, my birthday was two weeks after the release date, so it was very much uh, the moment that that um, that autumn. I uh, got it on vinyl, and I think I got a pound off because the sleeve was ripped. Uh, and I've still got that very copy, and even though it's still ripped, uh, I wouldn't swap it for any other copy. I remember when It's a Sin was released in the summer of 1987 as the lead single off the album, 
and it just dominated the airwaves that summer. I was listening to it constantly. It got me so excited for the release of the actual album. And I remember when it was released in September of 87, I I lined up at my local record store to try to get one of the first copies of it. And sure enough, they had three cassette copies and I was able to get uh, one of those that morning. Actually was, actually, the second Pet Shop Boys album I heard and it captures the 1980s just as I entered the middle of my teenage years. I seem to recall having the original cassette with its iconic cover. So I remember finding actually on vinyl in a charity shop bin. Um, So I was only about three when the album actually came out, Um, but I knew some of the songs when I was a bit older because of obviously their greatest hits album. Um, I had no idea about the album tracks and and what else was on the album. Um, I remember after getting the album and kind of being a bit blown away by it and then watching um, It Couldn't Happen Here, their film on VHS, and thinking it was just brilliant at the time that there was this this album, but that there was this film that kind of went with it as well. In the 1980s, I was still a goth. I was into post-punk music. I wanted to be in a band like Joy Division. But Pet Shop Boys were putting out these amazing songs that I couldn't get out of my head. Uh, Real bangers like It's a Sin. Uh, And eventually I just couldn't ignore them any longer and I surrendered and just had to dive into Pet Shop Boys. Actually, for me, is where I think the Pet Shop Boys really kind of cemented their sound. And I think a lot of that is to do with the, the equipment and the kit that they were using. The sleeve is just so iconic and just it's, it's so Pet Shop Boys, of course. And then later on, reading that the, the, the title came from uh, a chat, I think, in the studio with Shep Pettibone. And he said, Actually, 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 all you say is actually. It's called the album Actually, and they did. It's just a brilliant album from start to finish, sonically. For me, I think it's one of their best. To this day, it's still one of my favourite Pet Shop Boys albums. Oh, well, Dan, we've been given a run for our money, aren't we, this week, uh, with all of those lovely listening listeners contributing. Thank you all for joining us. I feel like we the pressure's on, really, to deliver the the correct facts, the enough passion for the band. Hopefully we do it well. Well, let's find out in a second, actually, after I've just said a little bit about Actually. Uh, actually... Second studio album from Pet Shop Boys, released in September 1987. A critically acclaimed, loved, commercially successful, uh, and you know, widely regarded as one of their best. Certainly for me, it's one of their best, and certainly on here are some of their best tracks. So, uh, not just because we've got uh, the Pet Shop Boys fans joining us, not just because it's our 200th, not just because. We're recording an episode, but I'm really excited to be talking about this album. And also, well, you haven't asked me why we're talking about it this week, because, of course, the reason is just because it's a big anniversary and we love Pet Shop Boys and we haven't done this one yet. But as luck would have it, It's a Sin is just about to turn 35. Oh, that's very convenient, more than contrived. Yeah. Anyway, so let's get on. Let's put the record on. As with uh, a Pet Shop Boys album, we've got 10 tracks, 10 solid tracks so uh, for the first introduce the first track we are going over to Joseph Jagger from Reading so this is One More Chance which kicks off the album track one side one it begins with that drum roll that real statement that something's about to arrive something's about to happen 
Um, and then you've got that finger running down the piano. It's dramatic. And you think, well, where's it going to go next? Um, and then as soon as that happens, you've got this rhythm that just kicks in with this real banger and you know you're in safe hands. And just as you think you're in safe hands, you've got that screeching car in some car park somewhere. But it's brilliant. It's just a brilliant way to start the album with something that really grabs your attention, but still has an unbelievably catchy chorus that you'll find yourself singing around the house. It's great. One of the other things I love about it is that weird little, I don't even know what it is. It's like a meh meh noise. Um, I don't know whether that's like a, a roadrunner thing or whatever, but what the hell is that? It's brilliant. Although I've been a Pet Shop Boys fan for years, the first time I ever went to go and see them live was on the electric tour and they started that one with Axis which was kind of the theme song of that album at the time and then straight after that and I, I was I remember thinking oh I don't really know what to expect am I going to feel really let down because I'd really built it up in my head and you know Axis was amazing and then it went into one more chance and I just remember thinking well I wasn't expecting that you know um, and from that point onwards just being absolutely mesmerized um, and I loved that song live it really does it justice. Track one, side one of the album, is One More Chance. Chained, friend, you know what I mean. Push me in the corner and I'll scream. Just give me one more, one more chance. So one more chance there, and thank you to Joseph for the uh, wonderful introduction. Uh, and speaking of introductions, there's none better than this track coming into this album. I love this as the first track on album two, because it is slightly jarring how, you know, it's a little bit off kilter, it's a little bit slower to get started. You know, you don't really get into that the meat of a Pet Shop Boy song proper until halfway through this. But I just love the productions, the drum machines, the synth that kind of kick this off. Yes, as you said, and as Joseph said, that intro is just something very special. And you just know you're entering the next step for Pet Shop Boys. That piano against the drums, against those like car skids and weird electronics. It's just, you know, it's something very special. You know, you're stepping into an incredible project. And I also love how long it takes to get into it but how throughout that neil's vocal it's, uh, it's against a very stripped back backing track and it's very kind of spoken word kind of a la west end girls almost yeah and it's quite uh, quite urban quite industrial as well and i think inspired by and written at a time when neil was in new york so i guess he wanted to kind of reflect some of that uh, in this track. Uh, one more chance, the title, uh, unlike some Petro Boys tracks, is pretty, is what it is, about asking for one more chance. Uh, and question for you, Dan. Mm -hmm. Have you ever asked for one more chance? Ooh, what a question. Probably not. How about you? Has anyone ever asked you for one more chance? Oh, absolutely, of course. No, you would say that. Everyone who's ever crossed me. And have I, have I given them one? No. Quite indignant there. Good. Thank you very much. Yeah. Good. <laughs> I think I've given a few too many uh, one more chances. Not that you asked, but 
There you go. To me? No, 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 no. Just in general. And so this song was, in fact, a single, but not this version and not technically from this album. This was the second single the boys released way back in 1984. And that version was produced by Bobby Orlando, who co-wrote the track and, of course, who they worked with on a lot of their very early material. Originally, it was one of Bobby's unused tracks for Divine, uh, which was going to be called Rock Me, but then became this incredible track. Uh, and uh, Julian Mendelssohn uh, was responsible for the final version that, en- that wound up on this album. And of course, we've talked about him on many occasions, but probably most prominently on the Liza Results episode. Uh, which is, isn't surprising actually, because there's some very there's some real crossover on that album. Most notably, the Petra Boys. <laughs> a question for you, Dan. Do you think this uh, is a good way to kind of set yourself apart, or set the, the Petra Boys to set themselves apart from that first album going into new album? Yeah, definitely, because I think I think they did the right thing in the fact that for the first half of it, maybe. It's got that really experimental, much more stripped back, much more industrial sound. And even when you get to that first chorus, those quite familiar synths come in, but it's not really up there with sort of West End girls or opportunities in terms of pop bangers. But then by the, by the time you get to the end of the song, you're where you think you want it to be. It does sound like a Pet Shop Boys polished pop production. They just didn't take you straight there. And also, where you think you wanted to be could be the title of a Pet Shop Boys song, actually. Oh, don't tell so them that. Well, we'll, we'll have that one for ourselves. <laughs> also, the house keys and that middle eight. Just another... Yeah. They just keep adding to the mix, don't they? Which is wonderful. And I haven't heard this one live myself, but Joseph mentioned about seeing them on the Electric Tour, which I really wish I would have seen the Electric Tour. I love that album, but I didn't get to know it until after it was released. Um opening with axis and then going straight into this i bet that was incredible oh yeah imagine imagine you were there well it's not really the same is it no sorry sorry uh so track two dan and here to introduce this one uh is me oh it's a shame so track two and this is a special guest star uh not the first time we've talked about her uh but with an absolute corker this is special boys dusty springfield what have I done to deserve this? How am I gonna get through? At night the people come and go They talk too fast and walk too slow Chasing time from hour to hour I pour the drinks and crush the flowers What have I, what have I done to deserve this? What have I, what have I, what have I done to deserve this? What have I done to deserve this? There, what have we done to deserve this incredible collaboration? And just so unexpected as well. I think if when Pet Shop Boys released West End Girls, if you'd have heard, well, actually for their next album, they're going to duet with Dusty Springfield, you'd probably have laughed at them, laughed in their faces. Uh, and so begins with this a long history of collaborations that the Pet Shop Boys did always at every moment doing it with the best possible collaborator of the moment and i think dusty is a wonderful contribution to this uh we talked about 
Dusty Springfield when we talked about reputation uh, and the Pet Shop Boys' involvement in that. And it's really nice to almost come full circle and to talk about when they got involved with her originally. And this this is probably one of my favourite Pet Shop Boys songs ever. And I, I've lost count of the number of songs I've said that about over the last four years. But I don't care because this is a fantastic song the duet the story that's unwrapping here and i think probably a couple of different readings you could have of this song i think the first one being something a bit political that speaks to what was going on at the time in the thatcher uh uk uh with uh poverty and unemployment being so high but there's also a bit of a love story here as well isn't there yeah and i think in my naivety Naivety. No, that Naivety. Really work. No. But yeah, for me, it was always a love story and quite funny in a way that it was sung by a gay man and a, and an older lady. I was going to say a much older lady there, but that's not very kind. An older lady. But the way they sing it together, you've got Neil's iconic, unique vocal, like quite, kind of almost quite robotic sometimes and quite high pitched. And then you've got Dusty's smoky whisper. And it's one of those things that he probably shouldn't really work together but it just merges beautifully yeah and i think regardless of the ages you just get swept up in the story and the romanticism of it the melancholy as ever present in this track uh whenever i think of this track i think about uh trench coats and hairsprays oh what mick jagger and david bowie doing dance in the street great reference oh thank you yeah. yes oh there is a reason why we still do it <laughs> and this was of course dusty's first hit single for many years her last top 40 hit was how can i be sure in 1970 and with that in mind emi didn't want pet Shop boys to duet with her they suggested someone like tina turner or barbara streisand people who were doing well at the time and were much more in the public eye but in fact when the band first wrote this, which was around the time of Please, a couple of years before, they always had Dusty in mind. And again, just back to what I was saying before about it just being the right person, not necessarily the biggest star at the time or the one the record label wanted to go with, but just the right person. They've just got a really great knack of collaborating with the right people at the right time. And I and that is true right up to now as well, actually. Absolutely, yeah. And when they do, just as is the case with this one, you know, there's such intrigue and such mystery and you just want to know what it's going to sound like. And I love that this was one of the very first cases of that and the intro goes on for so long. And I think they were really teasing us and really playing with us. And certainly at the time, you were just thinking, well, what what are the voices going to sound like together? What does Dusty sound like on a, on a Pet Shop Boys song? And they just keep that intro and that music going for a little bit longer. Uh, in the charts, this did wonderfully. So it got to number two in the UK singles charts, uh, did fantastically in America and across all of Europe as well. Dan, who who was it? Who was the culprit? Come on, tell us. I'm going to tell you. So this entered at number 10, which was pretty big for the time. Obviously, it was always going to be a big hit with these two names on there. Uh, when it entered at number 10, Michael Jackson was at number one with I Just Can't Stop Loving You. But uh, another big familiar track in the top 10 there. Number five was New Order with True Faith. And then this quickly climbed to number two where it stayed for two weeks, but holding them off the top spot. It wasn't MJ anymore. 
it was Rick Astley with Never Gonna Give You Up. Never, never gonna, gonna give, give you up, up. Never, never gonna, gonna let you down, down. never gonna run, run around and desert you. Never gonna do, do, do. never gonna make you cry. And this was in August of 1987. So this one turning 35 later this year. This was the second single released from the album. Oh, Dan, you've just been born. Oh, actually, a year before, Will. Very kind of you to take a year off. Oh, Dan, you were still in your nappies. I still, yeah. Still, still in, in your diapers. dirty nappies because your mother never used to change you. Well, that's that was a private conversation. You were just listening in on the on the bedroom telephone. Will, do you know some of the other people who have sung Dusty's parts on this song? Yes, Lady Gaga. Lady Gaga. That was at the Brits, I think, wasn't it? That was at the Brits. Again, the right person at the right time to collaborate with because that was when she was... I mean, she's still she's brilliant and big now, but that was when she was at her first peak. Uh, who else, Dan? Uh, they've also done it with Karis Matthews. That was at Glastonbury <laughs> in 2000. Um, I thought you were going to radio... say Kerry Katona. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, and then in 2019, Radio 2 Live in Hyde Park, I was there. I think you were on holiday, Will. You couldn't make it. I was otherwise um, engaged. Mm, didn't want to go. Couldn't be asked. It was Beverly Knight who joined them. Wonderful Beverly Knight. Uh, and also, Dan, uh, if we've talked about West End Girls before. The Swedish female duo who used to record uh, sort of dance pop covers of Pet Shop Boy songs. They did this one. Uh, and obviously it was gender swapped. So because they were singing Pet Shop Boys, they had uh, legend Magnus Carlsen uh, was the male member in Dusty Springfield's role. Oh. <laughs> role? That's not a very nice word for it. It's like that whole thing. Would you call it a role or would you call it a, a bap or a balm? He was the male member in Dusty Springfield's part. Worse. And before we move on from this one, another thing I just wanted to mention about the music, about the song. I almost feel like this is a song of two choruses because that first part, which you might technically call a bridge, it's too good. It's too strong. And I think like on first listen, you might think that is the chorus because that's when they are singing. What have I done to deserve this? And then you've got that wonderful chorus again. Second chorus. Did I like you to call it. Away? Too much singing already this week at track two. Well, let's move on to track three then and well i don't know about you i cba to introduce this one let's hear from one of our wonderful listeners over to rich gooding track three is shopping shopping is classic pet shop boys electronic pop it is a comment on 1980s thatcher's britain wittably observing the privatization and sell-off of many industries referenced in the lines we check it with the city then change the law and no questions in the house no give and take obviously a nod to the house of parliament its obvious electronic feel has always appealed to me, as does the staccato spoken word title. The song was also the default go-to in period for TV reports about business, and you can almost hear the cash registers ringing.
O D C A S T I N G. We're podcasting. Oh, I was trying to work it out. Sorry. Uh, thank you to Rich uh, for for introducing uh, that one there. And again, track three, another Pet Shop Boys classic. Again, this is very much rooted in uh, some more political commentary uh, and commentary of what was going on in the government at the time. But I love this story about the fact that uh, this was featured in the booklet for actually when it's reissued around uh, Chris and Neil walking down Oxford Street and singing S-H-O-P-P-I-N-G when they were shopping and later that then became part of this track. I did not know that story. Just the sort of tidbit I'd expect from you, Will. But I do like the idea. Thank you, Dan. I do like the idea that a lot of people maybe think this is just a song about shopping. A couple of lads like to go shopping down Oxford Street. But actually, like a lot of Pet Shop Boys songs uh, that on the surface may seem to be about one thing, it's actually something a lot more meaningful and clever in the lyrics. And yeah, I love that, like you said, the really simple lyrics of the chorus. But then when you dig into the verses, you've got, we're buying and selling your history. How we go about it is no mystery. That is, of course, about the government selling uh, government-owned industries and privatization and things like that. But, well, again, when I first heard it many years ago now, again, naively, probably did think, oh, they're just like Super Sister. They're just like going shopping. <laughs> What a shocking S-H-O-C-K-I-N-G comparison there. Super Sister. I'm surprised. I bet half most of my listeners don't even remember Super Sister. Uh, despite the fact we literally mention them every other episode. Can you think of any other shopping songs, Will? Shopping by Super Sister. Shopping by yeah. Pet Shop Boys. Um, mm. No, I can't actually. Are there any? I was having to think myself. The only one that came to mind was Big Store, which was by The Devils, which were... Stephen Duffy and Nick Rhodes. Very good song. Very good album. It is on the long list. Okay, another one for you, Will. Can you think of any other songs with spelling in them? Oh, yeah. YMCA, D-I-S-C-O, uh, G-L-A-D, G-L-A-D, F-L-M, R-S-V-P, S-W-A-L-K, uh, T-T-F-N. Are these are all of these songs? R e s p e c t. Well, I'm just I'm I'm blurring the lines now between uh, acronyms and songs that are spelt. Or oh, the one that you sent me today, M Y O B. When it inquired as to how you were. Uh, yeah, and we will gladly send that to each other uh, just for a laugh because well, obviously you do care, and I genuinely do want you to care. Oh, that's the most touching oh, moment there's ever been lovely. on track by track. Something for the 200th episode. I teared up after that, actually. The one that came to mind for me in terms of spelling songs was M-I-N-I-M-A-L. Minimal. Minimal. I love that one. And that is, of course, from Fundamental, which we haven't gone track by track through yet. We haven't done Fundamental yet, and that's going to be a good one. That's good. Can't wait for that one. But I think shopping on the album really well placed. You had that really interesting uh, opener with one more chance. You had the big pop moment with what have I done to deserve this? This it keeps it upbeat, but it keeps it very clever with the lyrics. Uh, there's no sign of a big ballad moment quite yet. Yet. But let's move on to track four and to introduce this one over to Jonathan Harris. 
Track four on Actually is Rent, and it is my favorite song on the album. I have loved the subsequent release versions uh, as well from the Live in Rio and the Concrete live albums, but the original is legendary. Following three far more upbeat songs, Rent is a haunting, mournful, melancholic rumination uh, laid over a hypnotic beat. It's an effort by the narrator to convince his or herself that they have made good choices, but knowing deep inside that they have come at a great cost. I love the soft trumpet blasts that sound like taps for the singer's dashed hopes and dreams. And Neil's lyrics are, as always, so intelligent, uh, yet easy to hear and, and understand and think about. It was an all-time great and remains so. Arguably one of the band's most memorable tracks. Or actually what I might change my mind and say is one of their most memorable, kind of if you take away the ones that every single person knows, then Rent might be on that next tier down. But controversially, when I think of Pet Shop Boys Rent, in my head, first of all, I hear Liza Minnelli's version. I was going to mention Liza Minnelli's version of Rent, uh, which for me never feels uh it's great and i do enjoy it but it never feels as honest as this uh as the Petra boys version which is mainly probably because of the connotation it has uh and you know just look at the cover of the single it's the two boys stood on a train platform a deserted train platform uh, you know, it's Rent Boy, isn't it? And that's, you know, that's been admitted to and that's the reading that a lot of people take from this song. It's less of something that you would take from the Liza version. Well, true. Although, I do believe, I do believe, uh, hasn't Neil denied that it, he wrote it about Rent Boys or a Rent Boy, to coin the phrase? Well, Dan, I think it's often been contended and denied, but I think on the most recent uh, interview with, with Chris talking about it uh, does talk about uh, how that they like to be provocative and actually they wanted to be amb- ambiguous, but it probably did come from Rent Boy. Well, there we go. And I did say before the track came on, and also thanks again to Jonathan Harris for introducing that one, uh, I mentioned hinted at a big ballad moment. This is one of the ballads of the album, but there's something wonderful about the electronics in it that, it, again, it's not a time for, you know, I don't think you're going to be talking about the album artwork for this track, let me say. No, and talking about the electronics, there's a bit that you were doing it for me, and maybe, maybe boys and girls, if we ask Dan nicely, he'll do a little with it now. <clears throat> <clears throat> Thank you, Dan. Yes, very underplayed in the track itself, but it's just a nice layer onto it that just lifts it beyond being just a very slow ballad-esque song. A few flourishes like that in there, actually. 
And I love how it builds as well. Those those layers just keep on building and building. And towards the end, you've got these incredible backing vocals. You've got the horns in there as well. And it kind of makes it feel like a dramatic reading or something like that by the time you get to the end of it. It feels quite filmic almost. And this was a single. Got to number eight uh, in the UK singles chart. So they really were in their top 10 heyday when this came out. Uh, did really well across Europe, but criminally not released in the States. And that is thought to be partly because of the connotation of the song, isn't it? And that it wouldn't be understood Mm. over in America, which is a shame. But yeah, as you said, it was a single. It was a third single from the album. It entered at number 17 in October of 1987. At the time, the Bee Gees were at number one with You Win Again. And there was only one other new entry ahead of them. Number 10 was George Michael with Faith. We've still not done a George Michael album, Will. No, we should do... Oh, I can't, I, yeah, we, we'll talk about it. Take that offline. But the following week, this reached number eight, as you said. BG is still number one with You Win Again. George Michael climbed to number two with Faith. And also in the top ten, Will, uh, Bananarama with Love in the First Degree. And before we do move on from this one, just looking at the lyrics, or lyrically... Lyrically. Two of the moments that I love. One... You took me to a restaurant off Broadway to tell me who you are. Just probably said it a few times on the podcast. I love New York. Love eating out just off Broadway. And the other, we never, ever argue. We never calculate the currency we've spent. I love you. You pay my rent. <laughs> sounds like sounds like an order. I love <laughs> you. You pay my rent. Well, that's like you with your other half, isn't it? How dare you, actually? You have no... You haven't got the foggiest... No, I'll calm down, actually, because... (laughs) Celebration, celebration. Yep. So, let's go to track five now. And this is quite hopefully called Hit Music. Criminally, uh, criminally, since, criminally. Since we, uh, since I reappraised the album before recording this episode, and I've forgotten how good it is. Also, it sounds quite fresh, and maybe it's the guitar, maybe it's the bass line, maybe it's that earworm of a chorus and that bridge as well. But I think in an album of really strong singles, it would be quite easy for the album tracks to disappear in within themselves. But actually, I think we all need to give hit music some love because it is fantastic and equally as topical around the time as any other song on this album as well. It's not just a throwaway filler. And again, on first impression, I thought it was. And with this one, actually, it was only when researching the episode, I realised that, yeah, it's not just about hit music. Uh, No, it's also referencing, uh, at the time, the AIDS crisis, uh, which was uh, just engulfing the country, uh, becoming coming onto everybody's mind. But as with the Pet Shop Boys, it's done uh, almost stealth-like amongst some fantastic productions, some fantastic synth work. 
And Dan, I know you probably want to say his name. So actually, why don't you say his name about who else is involved? I don't think I know Will. Johnny Marr. Oh, not oh right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Not he's not on the song, is he? Is he? He, just, he likes it. Uh, yeah. So yeah, Johnny Marr didn't play on this, but uh, when the Pet Shop Boys first met Johnny, uh, he actually said how much he loved this song, and so from this song spurned all of those wonderful collaborations when he's got involved with them, uh, whether that's through in Pet Shop Boys or in other acts. Nudge, nudge, wink, wink. Electronic electronic yeah i said it sorry you're probably trying to be more cryptic but i said it and i think actually of all of those songs that are talking about thatcherism or the AIDS crisis i think this is the one where you could be forgiven for not reading those lyrics i think this is the one that has done to most sound like a hit song and i think the title hit music hints at that as well and with this one i love that the the, the strings in there it's almost like that that's Pet Shop Boys' take on disco at the time. It's not like, if you think about Monkey Business, the strings in there feel like really classic Studio 54 disco, but this feels like what what they thought disco was or what they thought they could do to disco at the time. Okay, so let's flip ourselves over to uh, side two now. And here to introduce the next track is Zoe Mack. I've always preferred the uh, moodier songs of my favourite acts, whether that's Pet Shops and Depeche Mode or New Order, probably my three um, big three bands of my uh, youth, I suppose you could say. Um, I love on this, there's this gorgeous sweeping strings in this that just stir so much emotion for me. It almost reminds me a little bit of the of the score by um, John Williams to E.T. Um, just absolutely beautiful, creating this huge, wide soundscape and these strange lyrics, an intriguing title. Um, just what's going on here, really? And my 14-year-old self just didn't really know at the time. It's all just very, very, um, yeah, inciting and intriguing. I later read that... Um, a factoid for you that uh, it was one of the very, very few times that Chris Lowe um, vetoed a lyric because the, the original lyric was um, it couldn't happen here just before it did. One of the other talking points, of course, is the involvement of Ennio Morricone as a co-writer and, and the strings by um, Angela Badalamenti. But I think it's the lyrics which are the main talking point of this particular song. And yes, unbeknown to me at the time as a 14-year-old, the song is all about HIV and AIDS. Um, I think it sort of demonstrates Neil's ingenious uh, lyric writing to be able to write a song, which now is so obviously to me it's about HIV and AIDS, but when you're that young, it can just sound a little bit strange and intriguing. He's done that, I think, throughout the early parts of their career where um, he's a lot more ambiguous about his lyrics and his own sexuality and so forth. Um, yeah, pretty... Pretty heavy, heavy stuff, but I think important. And I think uh, since the Channel 4 show, it then went out a couple of years ago um, for a whole new audience hearing about the horrors of 80s uh, AIDS crisis. I think it's alarming that uh, this dark period of the 80s has uh, was somewhat unknown by, by many young people. Anyway, on that happy note, here is a snippet of It Couldn't Happen Here.
So the opener to side B of this album, it couldn't happen here. And before we delve into the song, actually, I just want to touch on something that Zoe said, which is so true that you think that I think that I'm sure most of our listeners think with Pet Shop Boys, it's not just about the music. It's not just about the album. It's the whole style. It's the photography. It's the collaborators mm. they've worked with. It's so much more. And that is why we love Pet Shop Boys. So thank you, Zoe, for helping us articulate that. This is a quite a unique start to the second side of the album because it is a more low-key one, and rightly so, when the subject matter is so personal um, to Neil in particular. Yeah, and I think of all the songs that touch on the age crisis, which of course was happening at the time, for me, this is the one where it really hits hard because it is so honest and so raw and so personal, and this one is against that more lush stripped back slowed down arrangement rather than kind of having it juxtaposed with uh, some hard hitting beats and of course it couldn't happen here i say of course if you didn't know it couldn't happen here uh it's from a conversation neil had with a friend when they were hearing about the AIDS crisis in america and the friend of neil's did actually uh, contract the disease himself so it really you know is a it tugs at your heartstrings this one doesn't it yeah and it couldn't happen here also a bit flippant then saying yeah um no dan i really do know what you mean there and agree i think also it couldn't happen here was said a lot at the time but also when i think about the other other things that have come to fruition in the world since then or in, in the uk or in america where people have said oh it couldn't happen here and it's, it is a wake-up call for whether it's a pandemic or a disease or a war or, you know, an uprising. The It really does make you think. And I think purposely slowing down the pace at this point in the album makes you listen and makes you think more. Because, you know, loads of bangers, loads of great pop songs, but this is actually very, very important music to share. And yeah, like you said there, the most recent example of that is the pandemic, COVID. I think we all thought when we saw it moving from China across the world, even to Italy, I think we all thought, well, it won't it won't happen here. It couldn't happen here. Uh, and then we had that first case. And then, you know, the rest is the last two and a half years. And of course, there is an extra name on the songwriting for this one, an icon. It's Italian film composer Ennio Marconi an absolute icon who only passed away quite recently and I love this idea of him and who's known for his incredible strings on tracks working with Pet Shop Boys who are only on their second studio album but known for their electronics and their synths and it couldn't happen here was also uh, what they named the film that came out the following year uh, which also included Barbara Winter do you know what I've never seen it me neither Oh, I think quite recently. Was it replaying in cinemas or something like that? Or released on Blu-ray? Something like that. Something like that. We don't know. I love Neil's delivery on this one as well. I think against that incredible music. he sound, It reminds me of you know one of the big moments in a musical like Evita or something like that. He, you know, I can imagine him just stood there delivering this commentary. Don't cry for me, Barbara Windsor. Oh, she was a big fan, of course, wasn't she? Mm. 
She went to, uh, I remember seeing her at the Inner Sanctum shows. I think maybe the night that you and I were there. She was obviously with David, David Williams, Williams, probably. Yeah. yeah, and Dale Winton. We weren't with David Williams. Although we did go wild in the aisles. We always do. Until the uh, ushers came and asked us to go back to our seats. <laughs> uh, track seven now, and uh, only fitting that I introduce this absolute mega song. It's a sip. And I think it's fair to say this is everything we love about Pet Shop Boys and exactly why we are sat here today in our respective uh, recording studios talking about them. It's grandiose, it's overblown, it's melancholic, it's bold, it's brash, it's in your face, it's produced fantastically, wonderful lyrics, well sung. It's everything, isn't it? Is it? Yeah, it it is. Is it? Yeah. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. It really, really is. I really, really like it. This, I think, might be my favourite Pet Shop Boys song ever. Wow, that's a big, that's a bold statement to make, Dan. And I guarantee you will uh, change your mind several times and back again uh, over the next few days because they've got so many strong tracks. But this is one of them, for sure, for me. One of, one of them. And for all the reasons you just stated as well. But yeah, for me, I think a lot of it is the energy of it and the pure euphoria you get from that chorus and that post that kind of middle eight breakdown. But the synths just exploding throughout it and the drums marching throughout it. And this is, for me, probably the highlight of seeing them live. And this is the track that I'm probably most looking forward to hearing at Glastonbury this year out of everything. It's very devil may care. It's very much like I'm going to give it my all in the lyrics of this track as well. You know, very much based around Catholicism and going to Catholic school, uh, which nearly is now lapsed. Uh, a lapsed Catholic. Uh, oh, that sounds like a Pet Shop Boys song. <laughs> uh, so, but I think this has stood the test of time and... It's had a renaissance over the last couple of years because it's association with the uh, titled it's a TV drama It's a Sin uh, and the re-recording that this song has had uh, by Years and Years and also with the performance that Elton and Years and Years did on the Brit Awards. Uh, but I think regardless of that, this song has never really gone away. No, it never has. I think if you think about standout tracks from the 1980s, this... Well, it's probably between this and Western Girls from Pet Shop Boys, but I think this would and should be up there. It's a phenomenon. And yeah, you mentioned the TV show, of course, the fact that it that was the title that I would imagine in some way inspired how Russell T. Davis wrote about the AIDS crisis for that show. Um, and then again, yeah, the Years and Years and Elton version. What 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 do you think to that version, Will? Uh, I enjoyed the collaboration, but it doesn't hold a torch to the Pet Shop Boys to this version. And I love that thought that 
originally the Pet Shop Boys were meant to join them for that performance, but there was a mm. contractual issue which was much reported at the time around uh they're probably just in berlin or something uh which meant they couldn't um couldn't take part in it so i just i always have that wonder at what would that have been what would that yeah. have sounded like and it's a shame because yeah the uh the tabloids made a big deal about it but in fact pet boys produced that version with Stuart price so they were definitely involved in it they were definitely approving of it just for whatever reason they couldn't perform there number one hit record in the uk uh, got to number nine in the US Billboard charts and was top five and top 10 across Europe and the rest of the world as well. So as well as being incredible, this was also a smash hit song for them. One of their most known and for the more casual Pet Shop Boys fan, uh, which is nice, uh, this is one of those songs that you really associate with them. Definitely. And yeah, this entered at number five June of 1987 so this was the lead single from the album and you know people waiting clearly on part two of Pet Shop Boys at the time at number one was Star Trekking by The Firm isn't that your favorite song ever or something <laughs> no my favorite song ever is uh uh Cotton Eye Joe by Rednecks oh uh, I thought you liked the follow <laughs> You preferred the follow-up, didn't you? But the Pet Shop Boys did knock off the firm uh, to get to number one for the following week, where they stayed for three weeks, holding off Bruce Willis with his track Under the Boardwalk, but eventually knocked off by uh, later collaborator Madonna with Who's That Girl? And I wonder if uh, Bruce Willis ever knocked off Madonna under the boardwalk. Or the Pet Shop Boys. Or the Pet Shop Boys. Who knows what goes on behind Hollywood doors. Mm. Sounds like a game show. What goes on behind Hollywood doors? This week, Dolly Parton. Oh, Oh, do you remember Hollywood squares? Celebrity squares in the UK. Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. Uh, which was more just soap stars and light entertainment stars. So, like in the bottom left hand corner, you'd have Barbara Knox. In the top right hand oh. one, you'd have Des O'Connor. Uh, you know, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, uh, yeah, great fun. Worth noting as well because we've not mentioned his name yet, but the person who mixed this track was Stephen Haig, who worked throughout the album and, of course, uh, worked with Pesha Boys throughout their career. And of course, who we were talking about only a few weeks ago on the Dubstar 2 episode. And of course, Dubstar did cover Pet Shop Boys as well and featured on our 100th episode to talk about it. And do you know what, Will? I think it's a sin. I think this is the song that we could we could do a whole episode talking about this song in the various versions. And actually, I think, no, it, we, a bit of homework, actually. It sounds quite lazy, but... We've got a lot to get through. There's so much to read about this song. There's so much to devour. There's so many versions of this song. Over to you for that one. And Not you, Will. Me. The listeners. Oh, I, mean, I know, I know, sorry, I know. Uh, over to me, though, to introduce the next track. So, uh, track eight, I Want to Wake Up. I Want to Wake Up. I Want to Turning in my sleep, you call me a fool to fall in love. 
I want to wake up there. And Will, can you guess my favourite lyric from this song? <laughs> There's a lot of lyrics in this song, Dan. <laughs> Come on, just tell me. I'll tell you. I don't want to play any more games. I stood at the kitchen sink. My radio played songs like Tainted Love and Love is Strange. Just love them referencing other pop stars. But also I love the fact that they mentioned Tainted Love. And of course, this year we had Soft Cell and Pet Shop Boys with Purple Zone. Have you found out what a purple zone is yet? No. Have you found your purple zone yet? Yes. Good. This is a fantastic album track uh, in that it sits really, it hangs really well uh, between a couple of absolute bangers. And I think whatever song you put in between It's a Sin and Heart is going to suffer for being the lesser of the other two. But I love the guitar in this because it's a little bit more uh, 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 strummy, isn't it? Definitely more strummy. And maybe that's partly to do with the producer of this one. This one was produced by Shep Pettibone, the legend. And of course, some of his most iconic work is with Madonna. And some of that does feature a little bit of guitar, a little bit of flamenco. Um, but I love the combination of PSB and SP. This song, though, I guess unrequited love, someone that you can't have. Yes, I think yes. so, Will. And also, uh, right at the end, Neil says about wanting to wake up with you. Not you, specifically. <laughs> but uh, Well, I might th- wake, I'd wake him up anyway, because I've got a horrible hacking cough at the moment. Oh, you have. Which has been cleverly edited out of this episode. No, I've kept hope, it all in. Hope, hopefully. Yeah, they a horrible <laughs> experience for anyone listening to our 200th album episode. Me coughing my guts up. That's disgusting. I mean, I've got to sit through it. It's awful. But I do think, as you said, it was the placement of this song between those two iconic singles. I think we definitely needed a breather, but this doesn't, it doesn't slow us down to a stop. It's quite mid-tempo. And I think the electronics are quite interesting in this one because of the groove in there. And I imagine that's what Shep Pettibone is bringing to the song, but the groove. And then there's something quite craft-working about the music as well. And I wasn't, I was, I'm going to know whether to say this. I think I'm just going to do it now. And it's not reflection on this song, but just what a great time to talk about fantastic album artwork. Mm. I'm doing it here more just because we've got to do it at some point. Uh, and this album, I say this a lot. It's an iconic album cover because it's the two of them in DJ's, looking uh chris is looking uh a bit solemn and neil is yawning and i think it's been much reproduced much copied but it's just one of those images it's going to go down in history as it's them it's the pet shop boys actually and i love how it's written pet shop boys all capitalized comma actually no capital just that it's just that attention to detail and that decision making of having it like that that's perfect just like when we did the please episode and we learned that uh they called it please because they wanted people to go to the record shop and ask for have you got pet shop boys please please good manners good manners also as uh, zoe mentioned earlier apparently called actually because shep pettibone noticed that neil says actually so much actually but actually they just wanted to put it in the title the uh that Legendary photo was taken by Cindy Palmano and the design was Mark Farrow. Oh, I wonder if it's Farrow and Ball. And before we leave the track, one other thing I love, 
when Neil starts singing It's Mad, the vocal effects come in and it makes him sound mad. It makes you sound like you're going mad. Great touch, guys. So track number nine now. And to introduce this one, Jim Brendel. Track number nine on the album is one of my favorites, Heart. It was never released as a single in the United States, despite being so huge around the world, but it's still one of my favorite tracks off the album. I was able to buy the UK import 12-inch single, and I love the remixes and the dub mix that are part of that, as well as the B-side, I get excited. Here's the song, Heart. I'm in love with you. I mean what I say. So heart there, and thank you to Jim for the lovely introduction to that. Dan, this is my favourite song on the album. I think you've already said that. No, I've said no. We were talking about it's a sin, and I said it was one of my favourites. This is my favourite song on the album. No, I think you said that about what have I done to deserve this? Well, all right. Just <laughs> sorry if the the favouritism police are out and about again today. But <laughs> I'll revise my if I if I said that earlier. I will now say this is my favourite song on the album. And again, it's another one of my favourite Pet Shop Boys songs ever. Uh, and the joy is in the simplicity of it. And the pure joy in this song about love. Uh, and your heart skips a beat every time. Uh, I think it's just, compared to some of the subject matter on the rest of the album, I think it's a lovely point towards the end of the album where something more positive and really light also, so catchy, and once you get the R-R-R stuck in your head, there's no hope for you. Yeah, this one for me, actually, is it's not a single that I really knew when I was first getting into Pet Shop Boys, despite it being a huge hit, but I remember hearing this one first live and then just becoming obsessed with the song, and now it's one that when I hear it, not even live, just when I listen to this, when I listen to it on the album this week... I get really excited to listen to this whole track. There's something about it. I think it's such a different sound for this album. I think it sounds really fresh now as well with the sampling, with the beat to it as well. I think it's just like a lot of Pet Shop Boys songs stand the test of time uh, and could you could drop this onto a Radio 2 playlist uh, alongside Jesse Ware and, and someone else. And it being completely at home. I think this, I mean, this is a number one hit, let's not forget as well. When you think about some of the iconic Pet Shop Boys songs that are uh, a classics, but were never number ones, this was. But also it was never released in the US, which I just don't, which I just don't understand. Yeah, uh, as Jim said, he had to buy it on import. And I love that dedication, actually. Uh, like many of the, so- the tracks in this album, there is a l- wonderful... I mean, I can't get enough of this track. So there's a nine, nearly nine-minute first 12-inch remix of Heart um, uh, on the further listening. As ever, there's a further listening version of actually with some wonderful gems on there uh, and much more if you go down uh, and hunt out the singles as well. But, you know, nine minutes isn't enough for me of this one. 
And we mentioned before some of the string work on this album. For me, the strings on this one are real standout. And I think this is Pet Shop Boys doing disco again, but this is them doing a, a, this is them doing disco proper, if you like. Whereas before they were doing their take on it. And I think actually quite Maroda esque this track in the production. And Dan, can you imagine this song nearly became something that we were destined to hear at every uh, regional pride uh, for forever in the future, (laughs) as it very nearly went to Hazel Dean. And also rumours of it nearly going, no, not nearly going to Madonna. I think they wrote it with her in mind, didn't they, but decided against that. Mm. But it's just another one of those what could have been, but I just don't think it would have been as strong, as haunting, as impactful in anyone else's hands. And as you said, well, this was a number one. I think what's phenomenal about this is the fact that it was the fourth single from the album uh, and it followed a few other number ones as well. Pet Shop Boys really were at the... Were they at their peak at this point, would you say, Will? Not to say they've, you know, I mean, at their chart peak, perhaps. I mean, number one doesn't get much more of a peak, does it? But I guess one of their many peaks they were at. That sounds better, actually. Uh, But this entered the charts at number seven in March of 1988. Number one at the time was Aswad with Don't Turn Around. Interestingly, we are going to be talking about that song in a couple of weeks. But don't worry, we're not doing an Aswad album. (laughs) Or are we? Or if you want us to do Aswad, do write in and let us know at Track by Track UK. Some other friends of the podcast in the top ten there. Kylie at number eight with I Should Be So Lucky, debut single. And Aha with Stay On These Roads at number five. Uh-huh. But of course, the next week, this would rise to number one where it stayed for three weeks, holding off Bros with Drop The Boy, which was at number two for a couple of weeks. Okay, so we're on to the last track of the album now. And here to introduce it, we have got Stephen Mumford. The last song is King's Cross. On an album with such banging hit singles... It's easy to overlook some of the album tracks. Uh, But I think King's Cross starts with one of the best opening lines ever written to a pop song. The man at the back of the queue was sent to feel the smack of firm government. Actually, is often regarded as a a whole album that's a, a critique of Thatcherism. And those lines sum it up. It's about punching down. It's about punishing the weakest, most vulnerable people. King's Cross as a song, it also resonates with those of us who are from the North and when we used to visit London in the 1980s because King's Cross was quite a seedy area at the time. Now it's been gentrified, but we used to go down and this this was our impression of London. And you could pay for sex at King's Cross. You saw plenty of people who were guilty of hanging around. Pet Shop Boys are also prescient. They they often have songs which predict the future. And King's Cross also contains these lines. Dead and wounded on either side. You know it's only a matter of time. And soon after actually was released, of course, there was the King's Cross fire disaster, which... That's exactly what happened. But I think the song is, is, is also saying that 
what we were going through, Thatcherism in the 1980s, it was all inevitably going to lead to disaster. And that's, that's what happened. So King's Cross there and like Stephen said, what I love about this is the fact that King's Cross is so iconic to so many people and as a northerner, myself, like Stephen, although some might argue I'm from more of the Midlands, when you visit London, King's Cross is the first place you come to. Although I have to say for me, I don't think it was quite as seedy uh, as it was when Stephen was visiting and probably around the time uh, as when Petrol Boys wrote this song about it. Yeah, it's an interesting place, King's Cross, isn't it? Because you've got, you know, it's a real commuter location for people coming into London. Uh, there's nightlife around there, pubs and clubs. You've got prostitutes, uh, it's gay cruising. You've got the Regent's Canal not too far away where you know some of that goes on as well. This song is a wonderful kind of amalgamation of that uh, kind of crossover and there's a real melancholy to this track, reflecting on you know some of those places at King's Cross, some of the things that go on there, and I guess classic Neil to kind of to be talking about being gay and gay experiences whilst not quite uh, seizing the bull by the horns, if uh, if you know what I mean. Which is how people talk about me in certain situations. Well, not so much horns, more uh, small hooses. <laughs> I really like the sound of the song and I really like it as an album closer but for me this almost feels like it's still in demo form and I think that's partly to do with the there's a real warmth to the production that we haven't mm. really had on the bangers of this album and things like Heart which was like straight out of the disco um, and also there's sort of a bit of an innocence to the whole thing as well certainly when Neil's singing from Monday, Tuesday. Just something about it feels like it's not a step backwards, but maybe a look backwards at the end of their second album. Yeah, it's a nice way out of this album. You know, something that starts off with uh, 
you know, one more chance, which really gets going and then starts the bang. This is a nice way to kind of trickle out, almost like somebody leaving leaving London on the train out of King's Cross uh, after a hectic few days for business. And, you know, maybe they've got their business done. Maybe they've had a, uh, a good drink. Maybe they have cruised or, or uh, taken the time with a prostitute. But uh, they're off after that. Question for you, Dan. Oh. Yes. <laughs> no, 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 no. And I do love, and we've both said it before, love London-based songs. <laughs> I do love prostitutes. I do love London-based songs. And of course, I love London by Pesha Boys. We were in London. As discussed earlier this year on our release episode. So before we move on to further listening, uh, which as ever, when a Pet Shop Boys episode was hard... Uh, can I just can I just say this album? Ah, oh, one of the best from the Pet Shop Boys, one of the most critically acclaimed, uh, and it got to number two in the UK album chart, uh, number twenty five in America, top ten in most of Europe, uh, and definitely top twenty worldwide as well. Uh, I guess the acclaim and the praise this album has had uh, five out of five in Q, uh, four out of five Rolling Stone. Just to give you a couple of uh, uh, of examples, but I think widely acknowledged as the album that consolidated this, the Pet Shop Boys' success, proved lightning can strike more than once in the in the same place, and and solidified them with a base, a fan base, a musical base that would ensure they could continue on this trajectory upwards for many years to come. Oh, it's almost like I'd written that down. Did you write it down? No, just, oh, well uh, done. just up here. So we've got a rich mine to uh, burrow into for further listening. Do check out the further listening uh, edition of Actually on streaming services uh, because there's remixes, uh, B-sides, demos and alternative tracks. Dan, I would love for you to go first for further listening today. Thanks, Will. So I have gone for a single that was released around the time of actually, it actually came in between Rent and Heart. This is, of course, always on my mind. So always on my mind there, of course, that's a cover and most famously recorded by Elvis Presley, but also recorded by Brenda Lee, Gwen McRae, Willie Nelson, so many more, an iconic song. But I don't think anyone has made it their own quite like Pet Shop Boys have. And this was first recorded by them on an ITV show to mark 10 years since Elvis Presley's death. Um, oh, so- oh, oh, El- Elvis mania. Elvis Mania, you've got it. <laughs> uh, it I was called that, sadly. In fact, I was just trying to find out why the song was playing, what it was actually called, and who else was on there. Can't find it. Do let us know if you were watching that live back in 1987. But this was, of course, the number one that I hinted at. This spent four weeks 
at number one in December of 1987, making it the Christmas number one, holding off the Pogues with Fairytale of New York. Wow. Uh, and in hindsight, good. Yeah. But just, I mean, what, what a piece of euphoria, Will. What a piece of euphoria. And I didn't know for such a long time that this wasn't an original Pet Shop Boys song. Uh, obviously, when we're children, we just we just don't know everything, do we? Uh, but uh, this is the version. This is my version. Again, talking about maybe I didn't treat you quite as good as I should have to a banging dance beat is just quintessentially the Pet Shop Boys. And again, for a lot of a lot of uh, casual fans, this is a Pet Shop Boys classic, a hallmark of them as well. And the nation took it to their hearts. Definitely. They did. Good for them, actually. Also, I love the idea that apparently Pet Shop Boys weren't that keen on doing the Elvis show because they weren't really big fans of Elvis Presley, but they decided to go with it. They decided to do a song from his later years uh, rather than something, you know, you can't imagine them doing a version of uh, Love Me Tender or Hound Dog, really, can you? And this well, is what they came up with. you say that, Dan, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't well, put anything past them, actually, because because it's the Pet Shop Boys. You're quite right to throw me under the bus like that, Will. Thank you. Pleasure. Also, I don't know, would we have seen them on Grease Mania or do you think they would have drawn the line at Elvis? Well, I don't know because Culture Club did Abba Mania. So I don't know if that makes a difference to that answer at all, but that is a fact. No. no. Oh, so did Madness, actually. Um, also, just want to say quickly, when this was Christmas number one in 1987... The top three, it was Mel and Kim, as in Mel Smith and Kim Wilde with Rockin' Around the Christmas Street, number three. Fairytale of New York at number two. And this at number one. Iconic. Will, what have you gone for? No, my further listening isn't me trying to sing Heart by Pet Shop Boys. But I have oh. gone for a different mix of Heart. This is something a lot more recent, actually. I say recent. 12... 13 years ago now. Uh, but this is Stuart Price's mix of Heart, which was uh, created for the Pandemonium tour. Uh, have a little listen to this. So that was Stuart Price's mix of heart. Obviously, long-time collaborator of the Pet Shop Boys on their last three albums and with a lot of other work for tours and collaborations uh, and, and remixes. This, I think, is a, is a great example of kind of bringing, some, bringing something uh, a little bit more up to the sound that they were currently at at the time. Similarly to what they did with Left to My Own Devices. Uh, and I'm not... I'm not saying for one minute this is better. What I'd like is it's a bit of a rejig and a refresh or a re-rub, if you will. Uh, and uh, this sounds really, listening to this now in 2022, really enjoyable. But also, it's further listening, isn't it? So it's something that maybe not a lot of people have heard. So there it is. There it is. And you can actually get the live version, can't you, on the Pandemonium Live 
uh, tour, which is one I often go back to because I saw a version of this when Pet Shop Boys supported Take That. Shouldn't say supported when Pet Shop Boys opened for Take That and their progress tour. Uh, also, you've got some wonderful other things on that Pandemonium set list, including the Closer to Heaven Left to My Own Devices segue as well, which was absolutely fantastic. Uh, and a wonderful medley, which is Viva La Vida, Domino Dancing, Discoteca and Say A Vida A. Uh, so lots to lots to enjoy on there if you want to have a treat. And we'll probably talk about that at some point, I imagine, as well. Well, the thing is, yeah, we're gonna, we've not got many studio albums left i think we've got three pet shop boys studio albums to go and then we've ticked them all off so then yeah it's the live albums it's the disco albums much more to come of course we're out out of time time. that's our 200th album wow wow can't believe it well it's almost like i've just left the big brother house i've got all the best bits flashing before oh no it's all finished now it's quite quick actually uh, so let us know what you think about uh, Actually by Pet Shop Boys uh, because we'd love to hear from everyone. Also, what are your favourite albums that we've covered over the last 200 album episodes of Track by Track? And a huge thank you as well to all of the Track by Track listeners and fellow Pet Shop Boys fans for contributing to the episode. You made it. That's 200. We've probably got another 200 in us. Oh, oh no, Dan's making a face. Oh no. Maybe 20 more, I think-ish. Maybe, boys and girls, if you give us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or your uh, podcasting platform of choice, Dan might agree to do 200 more episodes. Maybe, maybe. Also, don't forget, we are on Patreon and that is where you can find the exclusive series, Further Listening, where we delve even deeper into the back catalogues of some of our favourite artists and of course, we kicked it all off with Pet Shop Boys. You can also find on there our Dusty Springfield Reputation episode, which of course features songwriting and production from Pet Shop Boys. So thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to this one and all the other episodes of Trap by Chat we have recorded over the years. Do enjoy the bloopers episode if you haven't listened to it yet. So until next time, I've been Joseph. I've been Rich. This has been Jonathan. This is Owie Mac. I've been Jim. I've been Stephen. I've been Dan. And I've been Will. Goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.